to episode two of the Annapurnaverse. I am your co-host Alex and the mystery wheel chose the like a film missing link this week. So we're just going to jump right on into it. Here's Billy introducing our very special guest. And joining us today is Jordan King. Jordan, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good. Alex, you vibing down there? Oh, as always. As oh, up always. there, Just up there in the north. Chilling. Up there. No, the, in the podcast universe, there is no north. Mm. It's just a space. I could be anywhere. Who knows? Could be. Please don't tell people where I live. Which planet are you on? Which Annapurna planet are you on? <laughs> You'll find out at the end of the episode. Maybe. <laughs> he, he's not in the north. He's in the Annapurnaverse. So today we're talking about Missing Link, which I'd never seen before, but I want to know why, Jordan, why did you choose this film? Uh, well, Missing Link uh, is by Leica Studios, who did some of, have done some of my favourite stop-motion animated films of all time, like Coraline and Paranorman and The Box Trolls and Kubo and the Two Strings. And uh, Missing Link's one of those that it came out in 2019. And it kind of never really took off. I mean, it won um, Best Animated Feature at the Golden Glo- uh, Golden Globes, I believe. But, yeah, um, I think it did. It, it never really got as much attention as the other Leica films, which confused me because I thought it was one of the best ones that they'd done. Um, it's a kind of madcap adventure film starring uh, Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis. Um, and it kind of brings back the brand of like globe trotting adventure films that you don't really get anymore because like back in the eighties you had adventure films that were um, you know a lot of practical effects that have aged not particularly well. Then you have CG based adventure films now that the CG is not very tactile. Um, but this film, because of the stop motion animation, which is so beautiful, um, just brings it back with a vengeance and makes you remember what it's like to have a really nice jolly hour and a half sat- uh, saturday or sunday afternoon adventure so, that's a really yeah, good thought, point yeah, actually tender. because i like when i was watching it i was like oh i don't feel like i see many animation films that like have a specific time period that's probably wrong and i've just not watched enough animation <laughs> films but i definitely <laughs> like felt that with missing link um what about you alex when did you first see it well, I first watched it in back in 2019 when it came out of the cinema and it hadn't been out for very long actually. This this is this seems to be like another kind of book smart where I went into the, the screen to watch it and there was literally nobody nobody in the screen. It was just me watching the film. I later realized that it was a subtitled screen and so that was probably the the reason that there wasn't anyone there. But even better. But yeah, I mean I was on my own just having the time of my life. Just like this is the best thing I've ever seen, <laughs> and there was nobody there to to share in in that. Not even my friends, because I'm a I'm a sad person. I go and watch films by myself. But, um, but yeah, and I think like Jordan said, it just really felt like out of all of the, I mean, I think Leica as a studio anyway, maybe Bar Coraline is kind of really under underrepresented, and I think um, it's kind of sad because the the films they're all exquisite. They're just amazing and 
uh, they deserve the kind of the limelight. And it just felt like no one was talking about it at all. Mm, I feel that because I hadn't watched it until literally two days ago. Um, I bought the DVD. It was on it was on Amazon for £2.75. So it's actually better to do that than uh, rent it. Um, and yeah, it kind of evaded me when it was at the Golden Globes because I remember that year was kind of the first year I was trying to watch everything. But I just... I don't know. I never like indulge in the animation world, but now that you say that it's like connected to Coraline and what was the what were the other ones? Cuba and Two Strings, Cuba and Two Strings, Paranorman, uh, the Box Trolls, which is really underrated. Um, I think that might be all of their films. Yeah, they like I've only ever made five feature Mm. films. I've seen Coraline, but I have not seen any of the other ones. Um, and that Billy is a crying shame. It really, it, <laughs> so you know what, Alex? Sick of this. You've got a point there. It's a, it is a crying shame. This is what I mean, though. Maybe this is the thing: is like they're not getting distributed well enough. Because like before I moved to London, I lived in Essex, and our cinema literally only ever got like the big, big blockbuster movies. And I know that like those animations are well loved, but not when you're out in Essex and people just want to watch. Avengers. <laughs> Sorry. It's really it's strange though that this one has been like the one that's probably gone most under the radar because it's the most expensive film that Lyker have made to date. Like it was a hundred million dollars, which like for a not Disney studio is kind of crazy money. Um that's and it's a got lot like of money. this this all star cast with like Hugh Jackman, Zach Galifianakis, Zoe Saldana, um, Emma Thompson. Stephen Fry, like you've got all of these big names, Timothy Oliphant's even in it. Like, it's crazy that like such a stacked cast with like this mammoth budget for for this kind of film just kind of slipped by the wayside. Like I was like Alex, I went to the cinema with my fiance and her dad, and um, it was literally just the three of us sat there, dead center of the cinema, nobody else there. I'm pretty sure there was a screening of like. It might have been like Secret Life of Pets 2 or something that was like <laughs> packed out down the corridor. And um, yeah, it just it kind of made me a little bit sad, really, because I think that stop motion animation sometimes is kind of looked on as a slightly snobby form of animation, perhaps. Like parents might not necessarily want to take their kids to it because they're not often rammed with cultural references and like, you know, quippy one liners and, you know, merchandising opportunities. But, like, the mm. actual stories being told, especially in, like, Lyca's films, um, they're so much more profound. There's so much to learn from them. Like, Missing Link, you know, aside from having some of the best stop-motion animation this side of the 21st century and this side of urban animations, it's got this, like, really touching story about, you know, friendship that's born out of adversity and appreciating each other when you come from such wildly different backgrounds and not trying to steal someone's heritage from them, but trying to like move forwards and celebrate it. Mm. Yeah, completely. I think I think you're right about the stop motion animation, and it's kind of ironic as well because you know, out of any form of animation, stop motion is the one that takes the most blood, sweat, and tears to make. And oh, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, really, that it does get overlooked. Yeah, I guess it's not like the safe bet if you're if you're a a parent and you're looking at um like what's on and like you said <laughs> secret life of pets is on down the hall and that, <laughs> that's the safe bet i guess 
in comparison if you're like i don't know if there was like a pixar film what else well i actually just looked at what was out when missing link came out in the cinema and yeah i think it's pretty much um a <laughs> given why people didn't talk about it uh, because all people were talking about at that moment in time was Avengers Endgame. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Which is, yeah, was, was that really was... that long ago? That same, the same yeah. year as this? Oh my gosh. That was the same year as well that you had Toy Story 4. Um, you also had yeah. How to Train Your Dragon in the Hidden World. Um, Which are both then... incredible films in their own right. Yeah, definitely. And you also had um, Klaus on Netflix, which oh, was oh, a yeah. really like, surprise, like, animation frontrunner um but yeah missing link kind of slipped under the radar a little bit which is a big shame so i guess everyone here is like a, a fan of it there's no there's no haters in the room make yourself known now so i guess maybe, we should get on to the... say that billy yeah i no 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 because i know that at the end of the last episode my enthusiasm was not high when i had <laughs> It's going to be missing link <laughs> but i'm actually very grateful because i feel like especially right now just the life that we're going through with this government <clears throat> no tories here <laughs> something i needed i just needed a little bit of a uh, little bit of season in my life so um why don't we talk about why we enjoyed it so much i mean if you know me you'll know that i'm a, a big fan of uh stop motion animation it's one of my favorite forms of filmmaking i've always had a soft spot for it since the first ever um wallace and gromit uh, short you know that came out on tv a grand day out all the way up to you know more recently like missing lincoln isle of dogs and all that kind of stuff i've pretty much watched every major stop motion animation film that's come out in in the past well while i've been alive basically <laughs> Um, and yeah, when Missing Link was coming out, I was so excited for it. Not only because coming off the back of Kubo and the Two Strings, which is just phenomenal, like one of the best stop motion animation films ever. <clears throat> I was just kind of just ultimately hyped for it. And again, where there was, wasn't really any, like obviously people were hyped about Endgame and stuff like that, which I was as well, but I had this on the side, like, I'm so excited for this to come out. Um, and I didn't really know too much about it going into it. I knew it was going to be about Hugh Jackman's character, you know, trying to find Bigfoot and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. But coming out of it, I was like, that was actually... It's just such a lovely, heartwarming story. Uh, you know, like, like Jordan said, about found family and about, you know, friendship and uh, and kind of facing up to your prejudices and you know learning from that and becoming a better person which is what Hugh Jackman's character goes through throughout the film and paired with that again as Jordan said is the most beautiful stop motion animation that I have ever seen it is just on another level I've never ever seen anything like it I was just in the screen just like pretty much jaw on the floor for the most of it most part um i do remember uh, you know the scene where they're on the boat they're going down the river mm -hmm. yeah. um and i remember just looking at the water and going like this is this is amazing this is just it's magical absolutely magical 
Um, and yeah, and the voice cast is incredible. I mean, Hugh Jackman's great. Zach Galifianakis is, as always, brilliant. And I feel like the perfect choice for Susan, really. If, yeah. If I, if I had to think about it. Um, and then you also have Zoe Saldana as well. Um, and then you've got the, the the smaller roles like, you know, Stephen Fry and Matt Lucas are in it and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's really cool as well. So yeah, I mean, overall, I, I mean, I love it. I love it so much. And I always will. I'll have a, a soft spot for it. Jordan, you get your turn now, seeing as he beat you to the Hunger Games fight. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, Alex has pretty much hit the nail on the head um, in terms of like it being a film that I was very excited to see and yet didn't know a great deal about before heading in. Um, also, this film is kind of, part of an impromptu trilogy that proved that apparently Sasquatches are a little bit like buses, which is you don't get any in films for a long time. And then we have three in the same year with uh, Abominable and Smallfoot coming either side of the <laughs> wing. Oh, yeah. Um, but this this was like, uh, I just, I love, I love like a, a proper globetrotting sort of um, national treasure, Indiana Jonesy, um, Harry and the Hendersons, like, just a, a real meaty adventure where you can see all these like different locales. So like we get a little bit of England in, you know, that sort of um, the the late Victorian uh, period. We get a little snatch of uh, Loch Ness at the very start. And then we also get to go to Mexico and South Asia and we go, you know, right into the heart of the Himalayas. And because of how beautiful the stop motion animation is and also how deftly woven in the elements of CGI are, which you get to see in um, the end credits, because Lyca always do this great thing where you actually get to watch the like breakdown of how a scene was made. So here you get to see um, Susan, Adelina and um, Lionel Frost going towards Shangri-La. Um, you get to see like the how every element is brought together. Um, and I just think that it's it is a complete package. You you don't really have much room for breath within like fifteen minutes. Uh, Lionel's already met Susan, and the adventure begins proper. And it doesn't it doesn't let up for the entire you know hour and forty minutes of the film. And it's just it's just a joy to watch from start to end. It's funny as well as you know sort of sentimental. Uh, it's got some great character relationships that are built. But it's also got these great caricature roles. So, you know, Emma Thompson is sort of like the queen figure um, of the Sasquatches. And, you know, Stephen Fry is the really pompous villain. There's um, a great a great line where he says early on after Lionel said that he's going to go and find the Sasquatch. Um, he says, I must take a stand for all this is civilized. Um, and uh, his like sort of minion says, and how are you going to do that? And he's like, I'm going to hire a thug and kill him. And it's like, it's that kind of throwaway, uh, sort of really spiteful, wicked humour um, that just sort of gives the film a real punch. Um, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's a full package. And I think because it's a full package and there's nothing that's really a uh, weak link in it. I was going to say pardon the pun, but that was only a half half hearted effort. <laughs> um, but because there are so many, you know, great elements I think that's why a lot of people haven't necessarily pointed it out as a standout film because it's not like it's just got one thing that you remember because the whole thing is just operating on a really high level. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's a great film and would recommend to anyone. What I was going to say was what I really liked about what you kind of both highlighted this is that um, you didn't know what to expect, which was the same for me because 
was there a trailer? Like, I don't remember there being a trailer. And um, so when I went in and I, I watched it, it wasn't like, I think literally the first note I made was from the opening scene, it wasn't what I expected, but what was I expecting, <laughs> to be honest. And also about the how neatly it used the runtime. I think yeah. that, because what is it, like 93 minutes long? Yeah, it's literally no longer than an hour and a half, yeah. And it doesn't even feel like it because it's so neat. It doesn't mess around with any... Because I think sometimes what happens with animation is like it kind of gets lost in the fact that it's an animation and it takes advantage of that. Whereas like with this, I felt every story beat was hit so neatly and so perfectly that it just felt like it, when it ended, I was almost so confused that it had finished because it didn't feel finished. Yeah. I think that's what comes part and parcel with stop motion animation though, isn't it? Because of how much effort each, you know, shot or scene or, you know, set piece takes to make that they've really just got to go in with, you know, like you'll, you'll see with like a film like Frozen, you know, they did that documentary about the making of it and they'll make, they'll do whole scenes that they'll just put on the cutting room floor and with stop motion animation, it's not, as easy to just do that so i think with a stop motion animation you go in straight with like the this is what we are going to fit into this hour and a half and we know this is what's gonna you know be where and which and where and there yeah uh just to come in on that as well the um you know the bar fight sequence of mm, at like the peak of the first act really oh my um, gosh i love that bit they, they go into the bar with susan and uh there's that really nice bit just beforehand where lionel's there like uh, really, really hairy people with their knuckles, uh, knuckles dragging on the floor. And they're like, "Yeah, you'll fit right in." Um, but that, that, um, the bar fight that ensues is, uh, according to uh, the oracles themselves, IMDb, uh, <laughs> the single most shot in a single stop motion sequence in any film ever. And oh, um, really? But I think that that uh, you know, in and of itself, is a great achievement for Lycan to be able to both. But I think it also speaks to just how precise their work is here. You know, in that bar fight sequence, the fluidity of it all is such that you forget that it's stop motion. You know, you forget that these are all individual parts being photographed and set up and moved through a scene. And it's easy to imagine that this must have been CGI. But then you see the little details, the little um, nuanced bits of gesturing. And it reminds you that, like, there is human beings putting everything in place for every single punch to land, every single sight gag to pay off. Um, and it's just, it's it's really incredible craftsmanship. Like, you can love the film for the story, which I very much do, but also just as a, a showcase for how much artistry there is in animation and stop motion specifically. Um, you, you couldn't go far wrong with, like, putting this out as one of the best examples of it. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's just a testament, isn't it, to to the animators that, uh, you know, I, one of my favourite things about the film is just how much, like, physical comedy there is in it. Like, you have to be so clever to be able to get that to land in a stop-motion animation environment. You know, in, in, in real life, it's easy to do, you, you know, you just someone falls over a desk or whatever it's 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 easy and you'll you'll laugh but to do that in stop motion animation where someone is literally painstakingly moving each character model it's just yeah it it's 
blows my mind every time I think about it. Yeah, I think one of my favourite little gags is the um, the moment where they're trying to break into Adelina's house to steal the map. And um, you get that bit where Lionel's there like, oh, uh, throw the rope over. And then <laughs> because of how literal he takes everything, um, just throws it straight over the wall. <laughs> and he asks for the rope and he's there like, oh, but let's throw it. Um and it's just, it's little moments like that, that, you know, it requires them obviously having to like get the rope model, throwing it over the top. And, you know, it's such a silly little joke uh, that on paper might even seem a little bit too silly. But in practice, there's just, you know, the combination of Susan's like plaintive expression and like Lionel's complete disappointment in the fact that he just couldn't get the simple task right, combined with just, you know, the really simple play on words. Um, that just, is yeah, so... Like say, little moments like that are great. That is so true because I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about like the extra effort that had to have gone in to make that become real on the screen. And literally throughout, I think I've wrote, wrote about like maybe five times. I was like, why is this so funny? <laughs> like, I It wasn't what I was expecting from it. I, I know that like animation always has those like aside gags that are quite easy to get a laugh from, specifically from children. But I feel like this is also really catered to adults. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, like, out of all of Laika's films, this is definitely the one that has leaned into the comedy the most. They've kind of been able to, you know, sit back and kind of just relax on the kind of the drama of the piece and and really take time to just add all these really funny moments, which is, is really nice because all of their other films, as you know, as amazing they are, they're all like incredibly serious that you know some may have certain gags um you know sifted in at points but you know Cuba and the two strings is a very serious piece so's Coraline and and so's Paranorman really um maybe Box Trolls is a bit more silly but uh yeah I I think you know it was the first time they could properly lean into that comedy and they just did it perfectly well it's really interesting as well that, that like this is the funniest film because this is the first like a film that has like an all adult like lead cast. So like with Paranorman and Coraline and Box Trolls and yeah, Cuba, like it's all kid kid protagonists. So you'd imagine that like because of obviously the focus on imagination and things, you'd imagine that like the the sort of the silliness and the spirit of like free flowing adventure would come more naturally in those films. Um, whereas, like, I feel like maybe here for the director, um, I think it's Chris Butler is the director of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't quote me on that. It is Chris Butler. I've just checked. Don't worry. Do quote me on that. <laughs> um, but um, maybe working with, you know, these adult characters in this framework, it's given him a chance to sort of, you know, because animation is such a, a playful medium, um, it encourages you to connect with that childhood spirit where you can create anything that your mind can imagine. They just happen to be adults that have been doing this for years so they can actually do it well rather than like me at five years old seeing whether I could stick R2-D2 on Nuni from Teletubbies and create <laughs> modern art. Um, but maybe because they, you know, they get given this chance to really play but craft art at the same time. But then having these adult characters, it's kind of produced this like, comic catharsis if you want to call it that um where you get you know the sort of like adult bits of humor but you also get these really like just great childish things 
which is what Aardman animation do so well as well in stop motion. But mm. I think Clyde could come into their own here, really, when it comes to just making you laugh, really. Yeah, and I think that really works well with, with Susan because, you know, the, the nature of the character and the kind of naivety and the the kind of fresh eyes on the rest of the world because, you know, he's only ever known being in that one place um, and just that kind of childish wonder that he kind of feels and goes through throughout the film is, is just really nice to see. Yeah, it forces you to connect with that part that you've probably... Like, you know, we're not sticking... What were you saying, Jordan? Sticking R2-D2 uh, on... Yeah, <laughs> so I I had uh, Star Wars figures and I also had Teletubby figures because my big sister is a huge Teletubby fan. Um, so for some reason, I saw two slightly binish-looking droidy things and uh, my idea of... Art- uh, I, I'm sharing way too much here. My idea of creative <laughs> play... Uh, was to essentially put blue tack on the top of new uh new new and then stick RTD2 on top of that and then try and do the noise that both of those together might make um which probably <laughs> explains why I didn't have that many friends growing up so uh, I want to see that movie I like well I was just saying that. this is the this is the crossover we've been waiting for you oh. know yeah, I think new new in Star Wars Teletubbies. with C3PO oh my god yeah, I uh, do you know I I think that maybe as a child I wasn't I wasn't uh, given the chance to fully explore this idea, but I think in in adulthood uh, and also given that we're here to promote the Annapurnaverse, maybe yes. maybe Annapurna might fancy going into stop motion again, um, <laughs> possibly give Disney and CBBS <laughs> a call, maybe. <laughs> R2-D2 new new the movie. I, I'm just... We're I, making I, a movie commission come this, to life. <laughs> this is incredibly off topic, but all I can picture in my head right now is Leia putting the Death Star plans on the floor um, of, of the Star Destroyer that she's on and new new just sucking it up with his uh, hoover nose. Oh, and then the rebels are the rebels are trying to get the get the plans and then new new accidentally just gives them tubby toast. And they're trying to figure out how you blow up the Death Star with Teddy Toast. <laughs> Do you know right, what? Well, this is actually Hannah, genius. If you're listening, then you know. Here you go. You've you've acquired on the count of three. Your next film can be Newt Newt goes to the Star Wars. <laughs> if you're um, if you're listening to this and you're an editor and you're good at superimposing things onto things, get do, going. Do it. Do it with Newt Newt onto Star Wars. We want to see it. Right, anyway, back to like away from Disney. <laughs> away from them. <laughs> I need to know what everyone's favourite part of it was. But first of all, I do want to share a pet peeve. So you know when it's near the beginning, he's like running through the forest to catch Susan and his hat just falls off. I can't stand in movies, but particularly animation movies, when they drop things somewhere and they never like retrieve them. Is that just a very niche like problem and that I should seek help for? <laughs> I think that when we have just had a rather lengthy conversation about uh, Teletubby Star Wars crossovers, I think you picked the right time to drop a niche. A yeah, niche yeah. Pet peeve. Okay, well, that makes that makes me feel better about myself. But anyway, I think you're okay. Yeah. Besides that, favorite parts. 
I think I'd be remiss not to say the moment where um <clears throat> where Lionel and uh, yet to be named Susan talk on the deck of the boat, and that's obviously where uh Susan decides that that's what they want to be called. Um, it's such a nice, lovely, touching moment, and again, it's about Lionel putting his prejudices in the past and uh you know making a connection with this character, and uh, yeah, it's just so lovely. I, I'm also, pretty sure. J- I Sorry. teared up at that moment in the in the cinema. It yeah, was so nice. Uh, weirdly, that that that's my um, pick as well for very much the same reasons, and also it's it's not it's not made like a, a key tenet of the narrative at all. And I, you know, I wouldn't want to try and read too much into something that might not be there. But there is something about the fact that you know you've got Zach Galifianakis um, voicing the character who chooses to be called Susan based on someone else's act of kindness. Um, But it's lovely that they've got this kind of non-binary coded main character, which is one of the first, I think possibly even the first children's film, like lead character, especially in animation um, that doesn't have like a, you know, a specific coded gender or, you know, isn't belonging to a specific binary. Um, Mm. But I think that that scene especially given the the context of the setting like you know late 1800s and like the specters of uh, ongoing colonialism and things are like rife in the film so like you know this isn't a time where everyone's you know really progressive um mm-hmm. but the idea that Lionel that embodies a lot of you know for a lot of the film he embodies a lot of these sort of archaic worldviews um and is never really like an out and out hero even though he is like the the lead um the fact that he gets this moment where he hears Susan's story about why they want to be called Susan and then just kind of respect that and goes with it. Um, I just, I did, I found that really touching and I watched this again today just before coming on here. And um, it is a moment that you don't necessarily expect to creep up on you and make you feel a bit emotional, but um, it does. And so, yeah, it sticks out in my mind for almost exactly the same reasons as Alex. Yeah, I think it's one of my favourite parts as well, but predominantly because I think it's something that, like you said, children, because, you know, it, as much as we enjoyed it, it is primarily, I mean, I would assume it's primarily aimed towards, like, to hit a new children's market. And I think that that's something that they don't really have. And I really love the way it also deals with toxic masculinity throughout, like the way that, he, the, the, like, like back when we were talking about the pub scene fight, like, it's not a typical, like, everyone's, like, blood's going everywhere and, like, organs are flying out on the floor. um they're like they he's literally having to teach him how to do it because it's something that and even he doesn't know how to do it because there's like that bit outside when he's like trying to punch that giant guy it's just not effective in any way shape or form and I think it like kind of gives new voice to I mean I'm not I'm not a man so like I don't identify as one so I don't know the I don't know if that's like how it landed for either of you um for me, one of the key bits that kind of unlocks that that toxic masculinity like exploration is when they're all trapped um at like the bottom of the the pit um in the like sort of Sasquatch kingdom, and um Adeline is kind of pressing Lionel on why why he had to come here, why he had to you know bring Susan out of you know his natural home, and um Lionel kind of just admits that you know, 
I wanted to do this because they said I couldn't. And yeah. I think that like that was when I first watched it in the cinema. Um, I remember coming out of it afterwards and we talked about how funny it was and how beautiful it was. And, you know, all of these great uplifting things about it. But um, it wasn't that long before conversation did turn on to like, this is a really powerful film in terms of exploring that, you know, more male experienced, I think, at times need to fulfill a certain ideal of manhood or a certain antiquated ideal of manhood. You know, you never get the sense that Lionel's been a very good archetypal man. But mm. you do get the sense that by trying to be one for as long as he has done, he's ended up becoming one, but just in the worst way possible. Um, so I think like that moment where he admits to himself that he's just trying to be something because they don't believe that he can be it. They don't believe that he can do it. And then he realizes like, oh, hang on a minute. Wait, I could just be myself instead. I could be happy with this friend that I've made and, you know, I can embrace this life rather than the life that I think that the world wants me to lead. Um, I think that is a really poignant, like, peak of the final act revelation. Yeah. I like that about all the gender roles in general, because even, like, Adelina's character, I feel like it flips every trope on its head without having to be, like, on the... I mean, as a... There's a little bit of an on the nose bit when she like completely rejects him at the end and leaves, but um, I, I still like, like that though, where she's yeah, like, I like it great, as well. You're a great man, but I deserve greater. And I was just there, like, you know what, Adelina? That's a great line. <laughs> it is a great line, but I think yeah, it does that throughout, and it doesn't it doesn't ever signpost like we are talking about gender and we are talking about gender roles and toxic masculinity, but it like it would settle in a child's consciousness. I feel just from like things that I watched as a kid that I definitely like recognize that I learned that from I don't know like Toy Story or whatever <laughs> yeah I, I think I'd that's something totally. that Lyca has always done incredibly well you know it I mean I've, I'd, I'd argue that this is like you know one of the first times they've kind of delved into something as deep as you know gender roles and gender assignment and all that kind of stuff but, you know, in films like Kubo and Coraline and stuff, it's never ham-handed. It's always, you know, just stitched completely well into the background of the film. Mm. I'm trying to think about Coraline because I haven't seen it since I was really... I don't know, when did it come out? 2009? Yeah, it was uh, a while ago. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because it's the same... Like, this is obviously a very contemporary... I think it's very aware of the times that it's talking to... Because it came out in yeah. 2019. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I can't really draw comparisons between the other, the other films, but I definitely think that, like, in terms of where they are right now, only having five films, I'm really excited to see how they develop kind of talking yeah, to I think, children. I yeah. think the, the thing that's defined, like, their films so far has been the fact that they each deal with mature concepts, whether, you know, uh, that's grief with Kubo and the Two Strings or whether that's like senses of family in Coraline and Box Trolls or whether it's, you know, um, the sort of the will, the drive for vengeance, but the cost of that in Paranorman, which kind of starts off in a very, you know, it's kind of like a light, quirky, sci-fi, B-movie-esque like concept that 
towards the last the last 15 minutes of paranorman i think are amongst the best bits of like animated filmmaking i've ever watched so would definitely recommend checking out if you haven't in a while um but i think like a approach a form that is traditionally seen as for kids in a way that embraces that um sort of societal expectation of animation whilst also going but look at how much more it can be um and i think that's why they've become very quickly one of the best animation studios that there is especially at a time where whilst disney and pixar are still putting out you know widely great films um they have sort of got a little bit stuck in sequel syndrome at times and you know Mm. there are well-established formulas for a disney film and well-established formulas for pixar films now whereas like a they don't do the same thing twice which means Mm, that you always have that what's the next film going to be you never know what you're going to expect from the next like a film um which makes you so excited for it well i actually wanted to just mention that while we were on the topic obviously missing link was the first film that like a co-distributed with annapurna um and i don't know whether that relationship is carrying on for the future i'm not actually too sure i've not looked too much into that Mm. like i'm making their next film at the moment yeah so very recently like literally recently like two weeks ago recently uh travis knight who is the ceo and president of Leica, great made some great films um wonderful wonderful director um confirmed that the next film Leica are going to be making is actually going to be a live action film Oh really? Oh yes, I remember seeing that on Twitter. Yeah, and I don't know how to feel about that. I have to admit, mind blown. Yeah, yeah. it would be it's... interesting though. I feel like it would be cool to see them bring those like themes into. Is it live action suitable for like a younger audience, or is it going to? I'm be... not too sure because it's a, it's based on a an upcoming novel by an author called John Brownlow. Um, oh, okay, it's like an action thriller type thing, but they Would are adults. Um, yeah, they have confirmed that they are working on their uh, sixth stop motion film. Uh, they actually expanded as a company back in 2015, I think, because they mm. they wanted to be able to make films um, on a more, on a wider basis. So, I mean, I'm not gonna top my hat <laughs> off to more like a love it, love it. I do want to pull back to what um, Jordan was saying about uh, like about the audiences. I don't know if this is just because I've been watching too much Mr. Rogers lately, <laughs> but because I feel like it does that kind of effect of not talking down to kids and speaks with them on a very like straight level of like trusting them with their own autonomy and their own thoughts um, in a way that other production companies don't necessarily like they're not capitalizing off of them like I think there's a great quote from Mr. Rogers where he's like oh he like the child will be a great consumer he will be a great um like employee and that you know no shade to Disney because we loved Soul (laughs) most recently (laughs) but also all the other films um but I think that that is something that must have registered in my like subconscious when I was watching Missing Link but I think, you, you know, you're right about, like, audiences watching it and not being talked down to. Like, uh, going back to the scene 
where Susan decides that that's, you know, that they're going to go by Susan and, you know, that's kind of the decision. And I think it was, it's so important that somebody who is going through something of a similar sort, you know, not too sure about their gender identity, um, seeing Lionel, who has a character up until that point, you know, was, had, like I said, had his prejudices, but to see him accept that in that moment and say, you know, you do whatever you want, do what, what's right for you. It's so important for people to see that and realize that it's okay for them to do the same thing. Yeah. Cause one thing that um, has sort of saddened me a little bit at the time the film came out when, uh, you know, sort of reviews were coming out for it, which were by and large positive, but also with reservations was, there was a lot of talk about how the script wasn't as sharp as the animation or, um, you know, the, the dialogue wasn't as, as deep as, as deep as the animation. But then at the same time, like as much as it's like an, an often used sort of metaphor or saying like, like a kind of in text sort of perform that act of like ripping up the script and like changing the narrative, you know, you get the adventure film for, the majority of the 95 minutes of the film um you know and it hits all of those tropes and beats wonderfully but especially towards that like third act they really do go for broke in terms of going well you know who lionel has set out to be at the start of this film you know who susan was at the beginning of the film but you also knew how much they weren't sure who they wanted to be uh, when you meet Adelina, you get this sort of specific firebrand impression of her as a woman. And by the end of the film, like you see each character in turn realizing that life is so much richer when you aren't trying to stick on script and when you improvise and when you go with the changes. Um, you know, and I think the idea that uh, Susan arrives at his ancestral home but then finds out that they aren't actually necessarily who he belongs with just because they're, you know, connected to him by blood. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, the family that you choose, you know, that whole friends is the family that you choose thing. But the idea of like choosing your destiny and choosing your fate, um, that's something that, you know, introducing that to kids at a young age is just such a great thing to do because it liberates so much of that pressure to fit into a certain box with your identity, whether that's, you know, sort of gender identity or whether that's your like career aspirations or whatever specific thing you're currently struggling with. I think Missing Link does a great job of saying like, there's a hell of a lot of grey area between all of the binaries in life. And there's a hell of a lot more to explore when you stop thinking about the world in black and white terms. Yeah, I love the animation's always been like the um, medium to do that because I feel like there's no room for like realism. There doesn't have to be like this whole like things that you just can't get away with in um in live action like which is why I'm kind of interested to see them dip into that world to see how they handle like I don't know if they'll if they'll stick to similar themes and kind of go off the rails a bit and and push the boundaries with it which I'd be very excited to see but um that was just like one of my biggest notes was that inside of an animation world like anything is possible but we still recognize that it is like as true as real life that, um, if that makes sense i've been i've been waiting for a chance to bust this quote out so like you've just oh, here like we go. set me up for it beautifully <laughs> um 
Uh, the American Cinematheque did a screen talk between Guillermo del Toro and uh, Tom Moore um, for Wolfwalkers, and they Ooh. were talking about animation as a medium um, and about what makes it such an incredibly uh, diverse and like rich art form. And mm-hmm. um, Guillermo del Toro said that animation is the only form of cinema where you can have truth without realism or it was something along those lines but he was like animation gives you truth without the need for realism and i remember that really sticking with me because i look back at you know films like toy story or i look at like studio ghibli's films or i look at disney's classics and like his films and it's so true like you get these stories that have things that happen in them and visual things that just couldn't be possible in real life or in live action um, but they maintain a truth at the core of them because they were, you know, especially in this case, literally hand-built by humans, which means that you always get a human story at the heart of it. Oh, that's such a beautiful point. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And I love Guillermo as well. Love him. I just, yeah, I, I want Guillermo del Toro's um, Pinocchio ASAP. <gasps> yes. What is everyone's favourite character? Who do we identify with? Susan. Hands Susan. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I'd say Susan as well. I I'd say Susan, kind of... but also Adelina. Yeah. Yeah. I I can imagine like as a as a woman watching Missing Link especially, like Adelina's a, a pretty good like She's character. a great I wish that I had something like that when I was like younger. I can't think of I mean like maybe Jessie. From, but she still ends up with Woody, so I don't know. <laughs> I feel like in animation, though, you've kind of had a bit of a revolution with like the you know the strong independent woman like character in animation. So, like in Toy Story Four, you got Bo Peep liberated from that like meek meek little sheep herder that she was in like Toy Story and Toy Story <laughs> Two and Three. But like she gets to be a badass in Toy Story Four. Um, yeah. And then you also obviously like Disney in the past decade have done so much to like reimagine the disney princess formula not that they didn't have strong princess especially in like the renaissance but with characters like elsa and anna and uh rapunzel and uh like raya most recently like there's definitely this like realization that you know there is way way more to the world of depicting strong women on screen than you know back in the 50s when it was like oh she's asleep go fetch the prince she'll wake up and love him She'll wake up and no. I the thing is, is like I could probably write like six essays on why I still think that the old Disney princesses are also feminist icons. But this is not the podcast. For that. Coming next week, Billy starts a new podcast. <laughs> on I've separated from Alex and I'm moving on to my own female. Wait, we weren't meant to be telling them about that yet. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not yet. It's too soon. <laughs> it's too soon. Uh, no, I also have to say that I um, I identified a lot with uh, Emma Thompson's character, the Yeti Elder, uh, <laughs> because I um, I too want people to brush your hair. Want people to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, I do that. love that. I love that moment where she's there, like, "Stop them! The people are leaving. That we didn't want to be here." Yes, I love that. <laughs> I love that line. I thought that was very anti-prison and I was here for it. 
yeah, I felt like that was like the um the like colonialism in a nutshell kind of uh, line in the film because like literally colonialism does very much run through the heart of it. I just thought that line like the people are leaving here. We didn't want to be here. <laughs> Such a great line. That's what I mean. What you were saying about people, um, like kind of raking on the script. I thought it was a great script. Yeah, yeah I think I it's like filled with decent gags. Also, one gag that I did want to mention that I so much wanted to mention it that I actually took a note on my phone was um, when Adeline is there, like, Lionel is wearing a nun outfit. I don't even want to know where you got that outfit. And then Susan just turns around and was like, we mugged a nun. <laughs> I, I just really, really loved it because it's just such, like, on-the-nose humour. Uh, it was very much my jam. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! So good, yeah. There are so many lines like that. It's just full of heart, isn't it? And I think, yeah, (laughs) we mugged it. Even though, yeah, but yeah. I want to talk about its awards run because actually, there's a bit of a theme with stop motion animation in that, like, since the inception of the best animated uh, feature at the Oscars. Um, only one stop motion animation film has ever won that award. Oh, which one? Wallace and Gromit: Curse of the Were Rabbit. Yeah, best mm. animated film in two thousand and five. Was it five? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Gosh, that's a long time. Um, but yeah, since um, Laika's inception, every film they have made has been nominated during award season. Not one of them has won. That's uh, that's sad. Caroline lost uh, against Up. Paranorman lost out to Brave. Uh, Box Trolls lost out to Big Hero 6. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings lost out to Zootopia. And then more recently, Missing Link uh, lost out to Toy Story 4. But did get the uh... Golden Globe at least. Which is but it did win the Golden consolation. Globe. Yeah. I feel like I saw people speculating that it could have beat Toy Story 4, but I feel like you get Toy Story and you get the awards. There isn't really I much of like a debate there. Missing Link with Toy Story is very much like um, Soul and Wolf Walkers for this year. Because I think in any mm. other year, Wolf Walkers would have Wolf Walked it. Um, <laughs> but, Love yeah, that. You can, have, can have that one for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, I think that because because Soul exists and is probably one of Pixar's best in in a few years, um, I think Wolf Walkers is sadly not going to get the recognition that it deserves. It'd be interesting if it did just like surprise sweep that one award. <laughs> yeah, I feel it, really it, bad for Wolf Walkers. Um, I think. It's do time. we get to move on to the most exciting thing that we couldn't do in the last episode because it was episode one, but now we can. We are linking the Annapurnaverse. I think I've found something. Okay. But we'll let Jordan start, because Jordan is the guest, of course. Yeah, Jordan, you get to go kick us off. So okay. do we, we might want to explain what's going on, just in case you know, people yeah. are new. Uh, because, obviously, the podcast is called the Annapurnaverse, we have are taking on the mammoth task, and I mean mammoth, uh, of uh, trying to link every film together in a kind of weird kind of Marvel cinematic universe type thing, but just with all the Annapurna films. So yeah. 
it, it's going to be interesting. I, I know, I mean, I've found something very last minute here, actually, that I think could work. Um, but I know that Jordan, uh, you have something that might, that, that you might be able to connect between Booksmart and Missing Link. It's, the thing is, it is difficult to link a stop motion animation set in <laughs> the 19th century uh, about a Sasquatch to a 2019 very much contemporary, very much mostly live action film uh, that's about, you know, being two girls about to go to college or about to go to university. But nevertheless, I'm saying that Adelina Fortnite would absolutely be on Molly and Amy's list of women heroes. And I think, as well as invoking Malala, I think they could easily invoke an Adelina. (laughs) I, yeah, mine was not as expertly crafted as that. I do want to hear yours though, Billy. I must yeah, all mine too. was was when they were when they were high as as dolls, they somehow crossed paths in that universe. They slipped into the missing link universe. Interesting that, concept. That wasn't as bad as I thought it could have been. Yeah. Okay, well I'm <laughs> glad that I exceeded myself. <laughs> When I when I said that Booksmart was mostly live action, that was the moment in my brain where I was there like, oh, hang on. Maybe that could have been the link. So, Oh, there you, we go. You it came did, from an intelligent mind. I got to um, I got to take that one. Yeah, well, definitely. my link actually kind of does fall into that, you know, the scene where they become dolls. Mm-hmm. And that's because my link is that Amy and Molly um, partied in Adelina's mansion. Mm, because it's, yes. Because, um, well, Adelina Fortnite's mansion is in Los Angeles, which is where Booksmart is set. <sighs> And George's George's house is a mansion. Yes. So that's my that's my link. They see it's did... all fun and games now until twenty episodes down the line, and we're like, and then they came back to Adelaide's mansion. See, on one level, I was there like I'm the first person that's got to try and get in on this linking the universe together. That's a lot of pressure. And then now I'm just thinking, in 20 episodes' time, imagine being that guy that's got to explain 20 <laughs> films and how they connect. Like, trying to <laughs> push together Detroit with Missing Link and her with Sausage Party. So what are we, what are we going... Where are we kicking off the Annapurnaverse? I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to kick it off in all of those places. Okay, so they maybe, are... Maybe it's yours is a bit more of a stretch, multiverse. Billy. The anim- yeah, but it's, I feel a, like, it's multi-layered. I feel like that they could both unknowingly party in Adelina Fortnite's mansion because also, they looked up to her. Yeah, but also knowingly remember her from the past. Yeah, and, lo- and look up to her. Maybe they partied in her mansion, like you say, because of how much they admire yeah. what she did in the past. And now George owns it. George's family owns it, yeah. Right. That is where we're starting off. (laughs) Just had a little 21st century revamp. Yeah, that's the first first, uh, connection. 
Uh, Jordan, before we uh, do what we do, <laughs> which do. is spinning the wheel for our next film, um, what what other Annapurnaverse films? I, I'm just going to say Annapurnaverse all the time now, rather than just Annapurna. <laughs> Forget, really drop the pictures. Uh, yeah, so what Annapurna Pictures films are you a fan of? Uh, do you know what? Actually, I I don't think I realised until looking at the list how many Annapurna films I've seen and how many of them I've loved. So I really like Detroit. I really like Her. I really like Sisters Brothers, which is Annapurna, right? I'm not, I've not made that yeah, up. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, if Bill, I think if Bill Street could talk, might be my favorite of of all of their films. I can't wait to get to that. Um, one. And yeah, I mean, like Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I really like. I, I think I might have seen all of the Annapurna films without knowing that they were all Annapurna films, and I think I like all of them. So yeah, they're, we'll they're call you back any time to <laughs> just just every episode, just come back. If you if you're looking for an Annapurna historian, then I can just drop in each <laughs> each fortnight just to just to sprinkle a little fact or two in. Hmm. Also, uh, one thing on the count of three, which I saw at Sundance earlier this year, is being distributed by uh, yeah. Annapurna, and on the count of three is very good. It is. Would, it would really remind really me, is. Jordan, that I have not seen this film and you two have, so that's making me really sad. But maybe well, by the time we get to it, you'll have been able to I'll see have seen it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll get there. I feel yeah. like, do we need to like have a jingle here? Like, spin the wheel! Yes, we need some kind of like musician. So if you're a make musician and you would like to make a like 80s style game show jingle, please hit us up in the DMs. But for now, enjoy Alex's interlude. <laughs> well, we are now going to spin the wheel. It's happening. <laughs> The wheel is spinning. What are you hoping for, Billy? What are you hoping for? You know what I want. You know what I want. And I'm not saying it because last I'm, time I didn't get it. So I'm, I'm keeping it to myself. Sausage party. You say that every week, but I say 20th century women every week. So <laughs> and so far I've not won. It's not joy. Okay. It's not if Beale Street could talk. It's not vice. It is Detroit. Right, no, so how are we feeling how are we feeling about Detroit, Alex? Well, I've never seen it. You never seen it. Jordan, have you seen it? I have seen it and it is stressful. I yeah, I'm not even gonna I'm gonna save it. You're gonna save it. Save I'm gonna save it so that you all have to come back next week. In two weeks. In two weeks, yeah. We always do that. (laughs) We always give false hope. You always do that. So I we used actually. To, sorry. But now I don't. Go on, carry on. Well, thank you all so much for listening to episode two with Jordan. Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, and what are you up to? Uh, so I am on Twitter at Jordan MB King. Uh, I am a contributing writer for Movies on Weekends and Movie Marker. And at the moment, I am not doing a great deal i've just come off the back of like four film festivals and will be having a child in less than two months so i will be preparing for fatherhood oh that's so lovely yeah it's been such a busy time for film festivals i feel like it's gonna start to slow down 
Yeah, Maybe, I, probably not. Let's try Becca. There's hot dogs. Them all. I tried to get them all in early, and then I will be off the film festival scene for a little while, and very much on the waking up in the in the middle of the night to to a crying child scene for the foreseeable. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> might be a good thing because you might get like a American film festival, and then your child is like waking you up to be like, "Hey, you're gonna miss the film, so wake up." Yeah, I'm sure she's she's gonna really want to watch like a six hour long Danish film. That uh, is about yogurt production. Yeah, you got to start them young. Yeah, she might exactly. be a fan of In the Heights. What? What? How, you know? Well, she better be a fan of In the Heights. I think. Sorry, we're be like a fan of In the Heights. We've got ex- expectations for your child before she's even in the world. Um. Okay, Alex, where can we find you? <laughs> Nowhere. I'm a recluse like the Elder Yeti. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at presenter Alex, and you can find what I'm up to, uh, pretty much everything that I'm up to over there. Yeah, we'll see what you're up to in two weeks. The day after, well, the day this episode comes out, the day before, I would have turned um, undisclosed age because it will have been my birthday. So you can send me a happy birthday message <laughs> at Billy Melissa underscore on Twitter. And um, what? Well. I think I'll be covering Hot Docs Film Festival so nice. if you're into nice. a bit of documentary, come on over I'll and take a chunk where, where and when I can a chunk I meant to say like a slice <laughs> you're going for the whole chunk <laughs> and until next time we will see you in the Oh, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. <laughs>